There's a world around us that few of us are present to on a daily basis. And yet, this world makes sure we get to work on time, find food on the shelves, enjoy clean bathrooms, and can stay pretty. It's the world of the jobs most of us wouldn't do. Poorly paid work in often hazardous or unhealthy conditions. From janitor to fruit picker on industrial farms to our nail salon women next door. A new documentary is giving us a rare look at that world. In this case, the world of nail salons. Painted nails, the dirty side of pretty, is that documentary and our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. Your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. I'll leave it to you, Helga, to always find the thread that weaves so many topics together. I mean, knowing what we wanted to cover when we were first approached by the filmmakers of Painted Nails with this documentary, and we, you know, on this show have many times covered the world of health and beauty and the non-regulated side of it, and, and certainly had interest in this topic. I know, Helga, you so quickly came to the point of, well, this is so much more than what's happening in the nail salons. This is about so many jobs that are impacted by the lack of regulations and people who are being exposed to chemicals that are causing ill health effects. So I appreciate you keeping the perspective much broader and helping us be more aware human beings. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation today because this is a topic. It's gotten quite a lot of press lately. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but it's something that it does become a fabric of someone's life. I know plenty of women who visit the nail salon every other week or every week in some cases and, you know, may start thinking about what is the impact of the nail polish they're putting on their own bodies. But what about the people who are doing it day in and day out for eight plus hours at a time? Well, everything we look at, and, and thank you for that appreciation, everything we look at in our lives every day has a whole story around it. And sometimes a, a story we're not aware of, or sometimes a story that's actually really pretty or really ugly. We had a great documentary on the farm worker, fruit pickers, tomatoes in this case, in Florida a few months back, another documentary where they were fighting for a penny more a pound. And the economic impacts that whole area has and the dangerous conditions therein. We just see the produce on the shelves in supermarkets. And if you don't shop at natural food stores, but at your average retailer, uh, you, you don't know how much suffering is attached to every single tomato. And we just, you know, it, it looks pretty much the same every morning we walk in. And the lives also do look the same every morning we walk in of these pickers because they don't ever change. So I really think as we have learned to understand the story of food better, now look at all other aspects of life and and understand who drives us to work every day. What do what do people do? What how, How's the life of a janitor, really? And in this case, with nail salons, it's every town has them. We don't know anything about the working conditions. We don't know the, much about the materials, now more and more, luckily, about 
about the hazardous materials they often work with, uh, and not just what it means to us and our feet and and our nails that it's being applied to, but the people who are applying it. So there are you know, many facets to that story, and it's great that nowadays through the Internet and through film equipment and ho- hopefully budget costs, we will learn all about that today, it is more and more possible to do a really cutting-edge, amazing production as a documentary to shed light on important topics, and this is one of those. When I heard the story, it was just a no-brainer that it needs to be on the air and get promoted, and that's Painted Nails, the dirty side of pretty. Our focus in this hour of an organic conversation, the whole world of nail salons, what it means and what the products contain, that is our focus in this hour, and that's what's coming up. We have the filmmakers with us here in the studio, Erica Jordan and Diane Griffin. Stay tuned for more in just a minute. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Painted Nails, The Dirty Side of Pretty is our focus. It's a beautiful new documentary that is shedding an important light on a topic that usually lies lowly in the shadow. We walk by nail salons every day, but what's really is the story behind it? What's the story of the workers there, and what are the products really that are being used and applied? Well, we have the filmmakers of Painted Nails with us here in the studio, and that's Erica Jordan and Diane Griffin. Thank you so much for making time to come to the studio Thank to talk you. about this. We're yes, glad to be here. And Wonderful. You are both. You both have producer and director credits on this film. Yes, that's yes. right. Yeah. And how long have the two of you? Is this the first project you've worked on together? Or you have a long history of friendship. How did you come together for Painted Nails? Well, we have a long history of friendship, but this is the first project that we've done together. Yeah, we've each worked on separate documentaries and knew of each other's work, and then we started talking about this project and thought it would be a great project to work on together, and so we just went in as a very small crew and um, and shot and edited and directed and produced the, the piece. <laughs> every, every facet they're in. <laughs> that's well, that's right. actually the perfect way to start the conversation because I had mentioned in the intro that this topic about nail salons and the, and the impact these products have on the people who work in nail salons has been covered in both the San Francisco Chronicle and the New York Times in the last year. I think New York Times covered it in May and the Chronicle did it in October. And I was actually having lunch with a friend of mine. Um, he has a daughter. I think she's 
13 or 14 and he had just it was in October right after the Chronicle article was published and he said you know I just I just read that article and I'm so aware of what's going to happen as my daughter grows up and gets into cosmetics and nail polish and that kind of thing I'm, I'm worried about her health and I think that's a really quick place for people to go which is I'm worried about the health of the woman who's wearing the product <laughs> more than well what happens to the person who's who's applying the product all day every day I'm curious to hear from the two of you though what made this a meaningful project to work on we're both from San Francisco and you know driving around the city there are all these salons and there are all these salons in my neighborhood and you know what is this nail salon phenomena about and so Eric and I started having conversations about it. Then we thought, well, maybe this would be an interesting project to work on. This is right in our back door, and what's going on here? And so eventually we found a translator to work with, and she helped introduce us to, you know, the whole Vietnamese community. But what was the anger? Was it more, did you know already how how potentially toxic some of the materials were, or because you were reading science, you know, Jennifer's nail salon and Betty's nail salon on every corner. I mean, literally, there are some streets in San Francisco, particularly where every fifth store, it seems like, is a nail salon. How can they all stay in business? How do they work? What was the fascination so with that topic? Potentially a quantity thing rather than the toxicity thing to begin with. I think that it was um, just quite amazing how the activism and the information started coming out about the chemicals at mm -hmm. the same time that we started the film. It always works that way, yeah. <laughs> and it was magical, you know, and, and we became aware and we started learning as we were making the film. And as you said, you know, originally it was the the women and the consumers who go in and get their nails done. And then we very quickly realized that really the story is about these women on the other side of the manicure table and what they're dealing with, um, working with these chemicals, like you said, seven days a week, usually more like 10 hours a day. And they are often, in, at least in San Francisco, and I know in other cities, there's other groups, but here it's mainly Vietnamese women and um, with very little English um, to be able to really understand, you know, what's in these chemicals and there's no labeling. And so then we started to approach Van, the main character, with this information, a little concerned if she would want to share her feelings around it. And she was very open. Um, And we want to talk about that certainly uh, a little bit later of how you won the trust and how, you know, how do you enter a community that I'm sure is pretty tight knit, I would assume maybe not. But and they, as far as I know, coming in as an, you know, as an outsider who's not of their culture or descent or country to inquire about anything must be scary. Right? What what what? Are these women here to ask me? But before we we dive into the the personal stories, it's interesting. We've done an episode on uh, skincare and, and nail polish, particularly a few months back. Yeah, well, we did an episode called "Beauty and the Beast," um, and it was about we did it with the campaign for the campaign for safe cosmetics, yes. and they were talking about in general the health of the the personal care products, not just cosmetics, but personal care products in general. And one thing that she did isolate was these five ingredients, these five big ingredients in nail polish that are a concern. Let's recap there about what these, because you see a lot now like five free print 
imprinted on nail polish as a you know shining beacon of, of hope that you can still have lovely nails and not be exposed to these chemicals like formaldehyde and other things that are now being linked to some toxicity. I'm sure you guys had you learned a lot about that through the process. So can you share with us about that before we dive into the story? Well, I don't know if we can speak directly to the five chemicals, but we can speak to what our personal experience was, you know, working in the nail salon, you know, making the documentary. And one experience we had is we would go home after being in the, the salon and our clothes would just smell of toxins, you know, and so you just wanted to take them off immediately. And, you know, you, you think about these women, again, the long hours that they work and what they're breathing. I mean, in, in the salon we were at, they were not only, you know, nail polishes, but they were doing the artificial nail, you know. So there were lots of plastics. And, and, yeah. 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 And we also experienced um, and were told stories um, from the women and the men who work with these chemicals every day and their experience. And a lot of it's headaches, memory loss, rash, skin problems. Their children have problems. Um, there's more serious cancer. Um, but to directly, I think the research is going to take such a long time to be able to really pinpoint each one yeah. of these Proof two. Prove the correlation. Right. But we would hear these stories and just, you know, n- would see and know that they're in working in a very toxic environment, for sure. Yeah, it was fascinating. Back to that show a few months ago, The Beauty and the Beast, the regulation or lack thereof really is kind of stunning. It's, you know, f- food is fairly tightly regulated now, at least there's organic where you know what's not present, at least. In skincare, it's almost almost an unregulated industry. It was quite shocking to learn just how many already known cancer-causing or ill-causing ingredients are still allowed as single ingredients, and then the combination of them in products has never really been studied. So it's it's fascinating just how toxic actually nail salons or that kind of cosmetic, the cosmetic industry in itself, maybe not skincare, cos- but cosmetic particularly, uh, really is from, from lipsticks to well, Glosses. well, known is is the question. That's the operative word right there, because a lot of people are saying there is not any conclusive evidence that ties these ingredients to legitimate health concerns. And so what we are talking about, a regulation that was created 75 years ago and has not been, we've Ratified. not had a more progressive one since. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're working on right now, we're working on a new one, which is hopefully going to be, it's the first time, it may not be as strict or as critical as a lot of people would like for it to be, personally, as a Somebody who works in this industry would like to see it be a lot stronger. But the thing that's happening because of the way they've set it up right now is more of the parties who or more of the stakeholders are willing to come to the table and talk about it. And it's going to take us a step forward because the manufacturers of a lot of these products are saying, you don't have any evidence that shows that there are diseases related to ingredients in my product. So how can you tell me? I mean, it's just it's a very loose and um, well some are known to be cancer causing but still often the feedback is well I don't need to as a manufacturer and the US population doesn't care we had that uh, one case with nail polish where the, the same manufacturer had a cleaner product for Europe, Europe right, than, right, than he had right. for the well, US well there are two factories right in the US one goes to Europe if it's a manufacturer and the other stays here with the more chemicals What it comes down to is that these companies are not required to share safety information with the FDA. 
And they, there is nothing in this law in existence that requires them to, um, requires the FDA to evaluate the effects of the ingredients that are on the shelves. Painted Nails, a new documentary highlighting the working conditions and the lives of nail salon workers uh, is our topic and main focus in this hour of an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And um, it's the dirty side of pretty. It's the world around us that we see every day from the fruit pickers to the nail salon workers that we engage in or are part of in one way or another, but so rarely know the whole story. We have the two filmmakers with us here in the studio, Erica Jordan and Diane Griffin, and the website is paintednailsmovie.com. For more information, paintednailsmovie.com. We want to hear all about how you were able to gain the trust of that culture. I know you had help. A big shout out to Miss Pham. How do you Uh, Young Farm, yeah. Young Farm, uh, who is the co-producer and translator and I believe a key person in bridging that uh, cultural gap. And we'll hear all about that in just a minute. This is an organic conversation and we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helber. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And with us is Erica Jordan and Diane Griffin, the producers and directors of Painted Nails, an amazing new documentary on the world of nail salons and everything behind that story. PaintedNailsMovie.com is the website. And Painted Nails is now making its round through film festivals all across the country. We'll hear where you might be able to catch Painted Nails in a town near you soon, but all that is still coming up. Documentary filmmaking as an art has a lot of different, there are a lot of different ways to do it. But for me, one of the things that I I love to experience is the story of a specific individual. And it's a common way to tell stories in the documentary film world is to follow one or a few people as they journey through this topic, whatever the topic is. In your case, it's what's happening at nail salons. And one thing that makes it so powerful is that it is never black and white. It is never a person saying, well, this is unacceptable, and that's all you need to know. There's so much more story. We're we're not just getting a little, little slice. I mean, I guess we are getting a little, little slice, but they're giving us so much more insight into what it's like for them to be living in the situation that the that is the topic of the documentary. So can you tell us, take us through that process of the stories that you learned and the people who really make this film? Well, I guess first we'd li- I'd like to start out saying that, you know, Van really loved her job. I mean, her job is about making women feel beautiful, 
you know, pampered. A lot of the women that went to our salon were working class women. And this was a treat for them, you know, coming to the salon and have, being made beautiful by Van. And she, she enjoys it. And we felt it was very important to do a character-driven piece so that when you walk by a nail salon, you feel like you know that person mm. that you see and that you care about that person, you know, because otherwise it's really hard for us to get to know people if we don't have the language to connect or we don't know what they're dealing with and um, their struggles. And so that we hope through making a documentary that we can see them mm. and see what they're doing and like you said the complexities of their life that it's not so simple that this is a really great job for someone to be able to come here and be able to do and service a service that so many women really desire and not everyone wants to do it, you know? And so if you enjoy that job, it should be something that's very safe. And you were saying during the break, actually, it's a job you found they really love, right? It's a, it, it must be a real accomplishment to come from Vietnam into the US and get a real job at a nail salon. Is that, what was your experience with that? Well, our experience was all of Van's family are in the nail salon business. So and by choice, they like it. By choice, yeah. And she, you know, um, she seemed to make fairly good money. I wouldn't say it was a lot, but we really didn't get into that. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't sure. so much the focus of it. But it seemed like she had a lot of connections with the clients there. A lot people love her and, and love her husband. You know, and they feel like it's a community place for people to connect and. And they, they think she's wonderful and she's so loving to them and takes care of them. And so I think there, it, it's a, you know, I think it works for her on a lot of levels, how, except how, for the, you know, the toxic part. Sure. Is, yeah. yeah. How long did it take to build the trust? I know that in so many other areas, like agriculture or cultures or tribes, uh, in this case, a tribe through culture, but it, outsiders are not, it, at least are welcomed with a certain certain distance at first. How did you break that ice? Well, I think we broke that ice because we had an incredible translator, Young Pham. And, you know, she started out being our translator and came up, became our co-producer. And, you know, we spent a lot of time in the salon, you know, gaining that trust with Nyung. And, you know, we went to a lot of events, you know, we went to birthday parties, weddings, is there, was there a moment where you remember as a filmmaker, wow, the ice is broken? Like it's, we're now really, something just shifted? Well, we, what kind in. of shifted that for us was when we s decided to start talking about the chemicals and interviewing, yeah. right, Erica? Yeah, yeah, I think there was one interview where we brought it up. We, we approached that subject, the chemicals in the nail products, and and she was very open to talking about her miscarriages and other struggles that she's had physically. And we were like, wow, she really trusts us with this information. And um, we felt very honored that she she did trust us. And you, she knew you were an ally at that moment, right? If you were talking about pesticides or chemicals in those products or, or toxic materials, uh, it would be clear that you would kind of you know, you're doing this to make her work and workplace a healthier place, right? Was that understood? 
I don't know. I I think she's pretty trusting. And I think one of the things she told us is she saw how hard we're working and how much we believe in this project. And basically, it was just Diane and Young and myself Uh as a crew going into the salon, and we had to carry this equipment. And I think she saw that we were dedicated to telling her story. And I think she's a pretty trusting person as well. And I want to say as well that there, simultaneously, there was this um, movement towards safer cosmetics. At the same time. At the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that beyond the trust that she felt in you, she had a trust in having this story shared with more people. And I know that one of the things, I mean, she's the heroine of the story. And you guys have said that in your relationship with her, you've seen her love for this job has created her, it made her an activist to get healthier conditions, just to get more awareness around what's happening. Can you talk about that journey as well? Well, through that she became more active really inspired us, her courage, how courageous she was to speak up, not really have the language, mm-hmm. but with a translator, travel to Washington, D.C., and, um, and speak up. And, and tell people her story. And so I think, you know, we kind of really got charged, I think, with each other, w- w- us with her, and, and then she did with us of just our commitment to make change and, um, and, and support each other through this process. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we're talking with the filmmakers of a new documentary that is making its round right now. Erica Jordan and Diane Griffin, producers and co-directors of Painted Nails, paintednailsmovie.com, the behind-the-scenes story of nail salons. Can you summarize what you found? What is that story? What is the movie really depicting? I think it's really depicting a person any person in the world can have a voice and and speak up and make change and have courage. And you could think you're just this person that's working in this job and nobody sees you, but there are ways and if you get involved and 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 you know not not all of us can go and travel to DC and really van really couldn't either because she doesn't make that much money sure, you know to just, to, just to go but to really believe that your voice can make a difference i think that that would be really a big part of this and what, <laughs> and what was the biggest lesson that you took home after reviewing all your material or after seeing the final like what did you what did you learn out of this well i think following someone for as many years as we did you just witness the transformation of someone, like being there, giving credit to their story, to their lives as documentary filmmakers. Mm. It transforms not only you know yourself, but you watch the transformation of this person that you're following, such as Van. It's making its round now, luckily, through a whole uh, list of film festivals. Can you tell us where people might be able to catch it? It's going to premiere at CineQuest Film Festival in San Jose, and then it will be at the CAMFest, which is the Center for Asian American Cinema in San Francisco. And then it's going to end in Sebastopol, right in your neighborhood. 
Yes, up here in Sonoma <laughs> County. Well, probably not end. I imagine that this not is end. just this is just the beginning. These are the Thank local you. screenings, and once it's out there and people are feeling the impact of this story, there are going to be requests to have it screened all over the country. We would love that. You know, we really feel like it also could is an educational tool for people to learn more about the conditions that these women are working in in these salons. Yeah, which is which is an imp- important question of every documentary, but. Talk more about that. What is? What do you see? Um, how how will awareness for this topic, particularly, or everything associated with that, um, expand into greater awareness for any dangerous job for the fruit picker whose story is not told or now finally is, you know, migrant workers nationally and even overseas? What do you? What do you? What is your goal or your dream um, with painted nails? I think it's that we can the connection that we can make through film about the individual and um, what people's plight is, you know, and um, like you said, there's workers in all kinds of conditions that are working with chemicals or, you know, more hours than they should, maybe slave-like conditions, and and we should all care about each other. And I think that's, you know, like I said, the beauty of, of filmmaking and photography is that we can see each other you know, and 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 care. Do you have plans to like team up and and use the movie to lobby f- for this subject? We don't at present, but you know, we don't know what's going to evolve. You know, yeah. And we have been working closely with Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, and so I would encourage people to, if they do want to get involved, to um, look at their website. And also California Healthy Nail Salon Collaborative also has a lot of information on their yeah. website. And um, Women's Voices for the Earth. And Women's Voices for the Earth. Um, we've shared, you know, f- learned a lot from all those organizations. Yeah. And I think they do have some direct action and, and hopefully through our film we can connect more and find a way to get this film out in the world and then and get people involved right. for sure. You know, and the more people reach out, the more, you know, they're going to learn themselves just how these chemicals are in all these, you know, body care products. They absolutely are. It's, um, it's frightening how it's not regulated and the skin is a... It's an organ. It's permeable. And we don't look at these personal care products the same way we look at food. But it certainly is having an impact on our health. And for us to think about the impact it's having on our health as users and to go a step further and think about the people who are working with it day in and day out is absolutely essential if we're going to be um, responsible citizens. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same as that that whole idea of we have the right to know mm-hmm. you know that we're working with the food industry as well that we do as consumers and workers we have the right to know what is going into our bodies or on our bodies so yeah and someone mentioned and, and workers have a right to have a safe environment you know absolutely have you done pre-screens of this movie already to to women um, like in not official but People have seen it. You have shown it to some. Not really. We wanted to, you know, s- wait for the festivals. Yes. Would be interesting to know what their reactions were. You, as a 
woman, Sita, who frequents nail salons, I would assume. I don't, I don't actually. Oh. <laughs> I don't for that reason because I, when I do go, I take my own nail polish for that reason because I don't want to be putting what are the conventional most popular nail brands on my body. But I would rather have my money. Well, it's a difficult thing, and I think this is an interesting conversation to have with you. I would rather have my money be supporting a salon that is um, really making an effort to have the working conditions be much more favorable. So I do think that that is um, a vote with my dollar. If I do go, and there are few and far between, so I just simply don't go that frequently. But it brings up a good question where rather than just going to the salons that are choosing to be kind of your eco salons, is there a better way to change these conditions? Is there is there another way to go to places that are doing this and encourage them to have a different line? Or did you, did you walk away with a lot of ideas and opportunities that there are to change the situation? Well, we would just want to say that that Van, it, now her salon is considered a green salon in San Francisco. So she transformed her salon into that. Because of the work with you. Well, because of her awareness that happened out of yeah. that. Yeah, right. What does that mean to be a green salon? Not in greatest detail, I, but I what would make it a green salon? I, I, I don't know if we know the specifics to that, but I know that California Healthy Nail Salon Collaborative worked a lot with her after she went to D.C., and um, testified there in Congress, and so they helped her with the with the nail polishes and what she uses. I'm not exactly sure what she changed, but she does have better products. I think it's very very hard for the women to even know what. Sure. is toxic-free yeah, or not toxic-free because to yeah. it's not labeled. Right. And I even bought my niece some nail polish from a health food store, and I'm look, I am was looking all over it. It doesn't really – I mean, I just had to assume that it didn't have these yeah. toxic chemicals in it. I didn't really know. There's no regulation, so – but so the Healthy Nail Collaborative, that's what it's called? Healthy California Cal- Healthy Nail Salon Collaborative, yeah. Yes. Um, they have a program where they certify or help nail salons to become, quote-unquote, green salons, meaning less less toxins through right. through healthier products. Well, yeah, and they put in ventilation. There's, you know, there's many things that great. go into that. What they're, what they're likely doing is the, the nail polish that they're using is five free. It's free of those five most toxic chemicals that have been identified by the groups that are, are monitoring the um, health effects of the ingredients that are in the products. They're probably using acetone-free nail polish remover. The cleaning supplies that they're using to sanitize the tools and the, the pedicure bins are all probably eco-friendly as opposed to being the harsh chemicals that when you're exposed to them for periods of time call, cause issues with your lungs. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what the collaborative standards are, but those are the first things that pop on my mind as the biggest risk factors at a salon. It's just great to know that there's almost no area of life. We even had a show on greening your sporting events where somebody was looking at the plastic cups at a marathon race. We're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of plastic cups at a at a marath- at each single marathon in the US. There's no area of life it seems where somebody is not inspired to look further into the story, even as far as nail salons or tomato pickers in Florida. It's just amazing to me. And then ride with it, campaign for safe cosmetics. Of course, this is the cent- or the decade at least, finally, luckily, the decade of transparency. 
it seems like. If you are not in line with values, there will be a great documentary like Painted Nails and show what it's like. And that must be such rewarding work. Again, we are speaking <laughs> with you. the filmmakers Erica Jordan and Diane Griffin, producers and co-directors of Painted Nails, a new documentary looking at the working condition and, and the products of nail salons that are being used there and the working conditions of the people working at nail salons, the dirty side of pretty in this hour of an organic conversation. What's next? Any new ideas already? Or are you so, I know this took years, right? How many, how long was the production time overall from idea to final cut? It's been a few years. <laughs> <laughs> she, says, she says humbly. I, well, I have to say that that's, all, that's almost always the answer we get when we speak with documentary <laughs> filmmakers because it's almost like you stop measuring time chronologically yeah. because it's about the birth of the film and you're, what you're monitoring is, is a very different progress. Right. Meanwhile, kids <laughs> went to college and whatnot. But. Right. but also, you know, a richer story comes out of that, right? Absolutely. That's what do you mean right. by that? Well, you're watching someone's life unfold in front of the camera and all these events are happening and, you know, we can't tell the secret ending. But of course not. <laughs> we don't want people to hear it on hear it from an organic conversation. We want them to see the film. <laughs> it's just fascinating to me as That's filmmakers, right. books take a long time. Films certainly do too, if not longer. And from the funding to the work and how it influences every day of your life, how many documentaries can you make in a in a lifetime as a filmmaker, right? Maybe five, eight, maybe 15 if you're really productive, but it's a limited number. You won't make 100, most likely, if they're full length. You, you just won't be able to get, it, get them done. And so, wow, the topics you pick must be incredibly hard-hitting for you, incredibly enticing to be worth, you know, a, a good portion of your life. Well, yes, but, you know, in the beginning when you start these projects, you don't <laughs> you think. You luckily don't know. <laughs> yeah, you don't luckily know. don't know, that's right. And, you know, in the beauty of life is, you know, people are so interesting and there's just so many stories to tell. And usually if you stick in there and are really interested in the topic, you know, you're going to get juice. You know, you're going to get very interested in it, and it's more than you thought you would be. I'm currently working on a piece about modern-day slavery and have learned so much about that topic, and it's something I never had thought about. And and I don't know, it's one of those things like, do you choose it, or does it choose you? I mean, you just sure. don't know all the things that play mm -hmm. into life to um, get you involved in a particular subject. But mm -hmm. then, it does become something you care about and you know about. And, um, and so what did we almost out of time, but I do want to end with that question. And we always end with that question. What did you get out of the movie for you personally, like a, a great appreciation for the Vietnamese culture or what, what is what, what was your life lesson? Well, I guess my life lesson is, you know, to watch this ordinary kind of worker's life um, and the beauty of that, you know, unfold for us. It was very inspiring watching that, you know, and you're transformed along with the whole process. And um, I, I think that's about all I have to say about that. But uh, I would agree you? with Diane that um, seeing Van's courage to take action was very inspiring. And I think both Diane and I have been affected on what we put on our bodies in a way mm -hmm. that we weren't yeah. before. Right. And I don't think we were really aware of it with cosmetics and products, personal care products overall. So um, 
Yeah, we've learned a lot. Yeah, that's that's a good one, Erica. Yeah, the personal care products that we're putting on our bodies. And, I, and then also, like you said, I think being, it was quite an honor to be taken into the Vietnamese community and that they trusted us to tell mm. that story. It feels like really an honor. Have you learned to speak Vietnamese a little bit? Can you say hello to the beloved Vietnamese No, but community. I can talk about pho and, you know, different <laughs> <laughs> Oh, people love to speak the language of food. Yes. <laughs> right, right. And she, you know, she made great pho, so. Well, wise words from the filmmakers of Painted Nails, the story of your nail salon next door. Uh, coming to a movie theater near you, hopefully soon, making its round right now um, through a bunch of film festivals. The website is paintednailsmovie.com if you want to check it out. I would assume that all the upcoming film festivals are listed there and more yes. to be added. Yes, yes. Paintednailsmovie.com. That's Erica Jordan and Diane Griffin. Thank you so much for making the time being Thanks. our guest today. Wonderful to have Thank you. you. Thank Wonderful you. to be here. Thank it was you. our pleasure. From the dirty side of pretty to something super healthy, sustainable agriculture is next. This is an organic conversation. I'm Haga Hilbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Here is What's in Season. And with us, as always, as every week, the update from the world of healthy fruits and vegetables straight from the produce dock with Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco produce market. Earl, are you there? I am here. Welcome. <laughs> welcome, welcome. I see the hi, Helga. I can't believe that every week for 50-something shows a year, we are able to cover the edge of what's going on in the produce world between, you know, controlled atmosphere, storage, the earliest of the earliest, and then, of course, the peak of the season through the year of what is coming, what is leaving, and what is just really, really good. Yeah. Uh, we talked about citrus last week, totally at the peak, or maybe on the peak plus. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I, I'm hoping you will talk about apples. Maybe we'll do that next week. But uh, what do you have uh, up your sleeve <laughs> this week? Yeah, I think apples, you know, we, with apples, I like to, I like to kind of uh, delay gratification in that way because they're around so much. I'm gonna, I, I am going to put that off. Oh. We're going to talk about <laughs> something else that follows seasons. I mean, that's, and that's what all produce does. And we've, we've kind of created this, I, I'm going to say, a little artificial seasonality because we can, meaning oh, here we are, middle of February, toward the end of February. And on most of the country, you're, you're not able to grow anything other than whatever you're carrying over from the last fall, you know, leeks right. or chards or cabbages. So what naturally happens is you develop other growing areas, which we've done, whether it's in the southern Florida, uh, the desert of California, or the different uh, northern areas of Mexico. And that's where we are. And this particular winter was incredibly unique in that it was a perfect storm with El Nino, with weather, with cold, with supply challenges, with demand that we we've seen the highest prices that we've ever seen. Wow. And I'm really, really? talking about uh, back in the end of December and all through January. We're, we've seen a little bit of a relief in the last couple of weeks. But if you all remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, you were paying $6 for uh, a head of uh, cauliflower. Uh, carrots, 
we were we were being allocated carrots, and that has never happened mm. in in my thirty years in the industry being allocated carrots. Meaning, you you got only a certain quota, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. And we're de- and, and <laughs> carrots, it, it, uh, carrots, right? I mean, and carrots are prolific. Uh, it, it's it, like it, potatoes, it, or yeah. No, you only get five. What? That's about it. Yeah. And so, of course, we had to introduce the same thing to our customers. And it was baffling to them. It, it created quite quite an activity a couple of weeks ago. You don't but, think you think it's the weather and not all the juicing shops that pop up everywhere? <laughs> oh no, they would buy from you, so it must yeah, be the weather. Well, but you know, you're right. I think there were a, we identified I don't know how many three or four or five aspects because if you talk to different growers, they all have their different opinions, sure. and some of which don't really know. Uh, and I don't know that anybody wow. knows. But you, you 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 take a step back, especially after the period of time has been over, and you try to make sense of it. And I'm going to you know, throw a couple ideas out there. What we do know is that every system goes through fluctuations of supply and demand. Sure. And we definitely see that in the organic trade. And we've been on a supply challenge for, for a period of time, meaning that the demand is outstripping the supply. Uh-huh. So this particular time frame, we had a holiday where we ascertained that the demand was incredible. And, and as the harvesting was going on, the growers were harvesting product that really wasn't quite ready yet. In other words, they were going in a little earlier, uh, maybe a week early to harvest those carrots. They should have been kept in the ground a little bit longer. Mm. So in doing that, you're creating a, sor- a shortage for that next oh, cycle. Sure, sure, sure. you sure. picked them early. Yeah. Now the weather, we had freezing weather, we had a lot of rain. That creates problems getting into the field and harvesting because you can't get in when when it's wet. Too wet You're going to yeah. tear up your field. Simultaneously, you can't get into not only to harvest, but you can't get in to plant. So that created created a shortage, which we're going to experience probably at the end of March, where that's going to come to roost what we could not plant uh, in 60 to 90 days ago. Uh, the other thing was Florida had some challenges with weather, so their production was down. That meant the Mexican and the Southern California supply was that much more stressed by the lack of Florida. Sure. Also, there was there was a strike at the border of Nogales, which uh, which is a major uh, crossing point from Mexico into the United States. So all those things created this supply challenge. There was not enough product available. So when that happens, and the demand stays high. Prices are going to go skyrocketing. How can the consumer work with that? Like, what does this all mean for the end consumer? I mean, we we've seen yes, a head of cauliflower easily, you know, five six dollars, yep. uh, unbelievable. Um, maybe not seen in years. Knowing this now, with your warning that there might be another shortage of really average vegetables, winter vegetables, yep. Yep. Um, can they can they not come out of storage to compensate, or how well do they store at home? What does this yep. mean to the end consumer, not just in terms of price, but can yep. we prepare for that? Yeah, great question. Uh, one, if you, in the future you can have your own small garden out there, I, I happen to have a really small one, and I can have chard and arugula and a couple things. That's one thing, but you know that I don't know if that's the ultimate answer, but I think it's part of it. I think the other one is you start you can store some stuff, and also there are some things that are not going to go up, like winter squash. Mm-hmm. Now um, you can keep a winter squash forever, and it also gives you an opportunity to get to get creative with an item that is in season, um, and you have an opportunity to expand 
and diversify what you normally would eat. So what's your advice? Really watch the prices and know when they go up, they might go up for, you know, three, four or five weeks and then they might come down, but prices might really spike. And if you're used to grabbing that broccoli or that cauliflower, mm -hmm. uh, watch, watch twice what they yep. are charging because it might be at an all-time high. Yes, and, and it won't be as long as, as you know, Two, three I weeks. think a couple of weeks is what you're uh -huh. looking at. But I'll tell you, this still remains to be seen how, how it's going to play out. And all this is kind of forecasting and learning from the past and trying to analyze it. But, hmm. you know, you're right. If you also can read uh, and, and do some Internet searching, there are indicators just by the, by the forecasting that goes on. And some things you can keep for a week or so. So, you know, there's a period of time, and sometimes you can make food and, and freeze it. So those are the couple things. But pay attention and understand that it is, a, it is very much driven by the weather and the supply and the demand. It's not too complicated. It just sometimes surprises sure. us. Well, I think this is the gr this is a great time to pull out cookbooks because yeah. I mean I'm definitely somebody who has a lot of cookbooks that I don't <laughs> visit that often because <laughs> mm -hmm. I know there are a lot of people who are in that same boat. And so when you're in a situation where you're not just going to cook whatever you're craving in the moment because the prices are so high, if you look at what is well priced, and one of your examples is squash, is great great price steady steady great price go to some of your favorite cookbooks go to the index in the back look up the recipes that have butternut squash and start experimenting with something different you're going to save yourself money you're going to expand your repertoire and then you're going to prepare yourself for if this situation comes up again you already have a handful of recipes you can go to to help get through get you cool. through a difficult time That's a great idea yeah 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 well interesting that in nowadays in this very organized kind of industrial even organic but very organized uh, supply and demand chain that there are shortages enough to affect prices, not just by 10 cents, but by a few dollars. So again, if you have a big uh, shopping cart full of stuff, you might not pay attention, but this is the time to actually pay attention if budget is a concern or at least a focus of yours. You can easily pay a few dollars more for your vegetables in the next two, three weeks. Uh, so pay attention. Thanks for that warning and heads up, Earl. That's great to know and amazing that we can still have that much impact or nature can have that much impact if everything just comes together in the best or worst way. Yeah. And we'll have you back for next week. And I will still hope we will at one point cover apples. <laughs> hey, it's always great talking to you all. Um, Thank you, Earl. Have a good week. See you later. Okay, bye. You know, there are a lot of things in this world that seem really, really simple that we can kind of forget about. For me, winter vegetables is it's one of those things. It starts to just kind of drum along. And I think Earl may have it's used the there. word. It's always there. <laughs> well, you know what? I kind of feel that way about the, the thing that inspired painted nails. The fact that there are so many nail mm. salons. We just walk by them. I mean, you're right, Helga. I have definitely been on city blocks where there are two or three on that block alone between the two sides of the street. And it's, it's so easy to let that stuff run under the radar and not dig deeper into the story and you know the deeper part of the story about why our our prices are so high with the winter vegetables it's just in the deeper side of the story with what's happening to these people who are working 10 hour days seven days a week with these chemicals just shows me that there's always more opportunity for self-awareness and that we have a choice we have a choice And that people, you know, spend three, four, five, six years of their lives to put this one documentary together. It's so honorable and beautiful. Humans are amazing.
Yes, and that is our job to communicate and to show and promote every week here on An Organic Conversation. What a privilege it is. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm C. Tarani Palomar. And we'll be back with yet just another topic. Actually, really interesting, the Farmer's Almanac coming up. What is that? You'll learn that next week. We'll See talk you to you then. Bye. Bye. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash An Organic Conversation. Thank you for your contribution. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.